David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. Time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. PK, who you got? Who's going to win the Masters? Well, I picked Justin Thomas, so I'm going to stick with that. That seems pretty good this morning. It seems like he's he's the odds-on favorite now. Uh, yes. If you go strictly on the odds, you are correct. A lot of golf to be played. Crazy stuff happens, David. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This is clearly a course that, if you know it, you can play it. Like when Phil and Tiger are as low as they are, um, that experience, it's it actually kind of makes, not to get too in the deep depths of golf, it makes what Matthew Wolf did on day one probably the most impressive. It's the first time he's ever played to be under... I think he's two or three under. Pretty impressive. So, yeah. interesting. Yeah. I've weekend. enjoyed it the three times I've played it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, you have. David, we talk to you uh, once a week, and I am curious over the course of the next week, how much is the league going to change with the draft, free agency right on top of the draft, and obviously the chance for trades. Uh, you know, will we hear about sign-in trades by the next time we talk to you? Certainly we could hear about draft day trades. What, is it, what do you think the biggest change in the NBA is going to be when we talk to you a week from now? Oh, I think marquee names will have moved. So um, I don't think there'll be free agent movement. I, I mean, Fred Van Vliet's like the one free agent that might move, and I'm not sure that that – I mean, it definitely has an impact because he's really good and Toronto's really good, but – that's probably the biggest name, but I don't actually know. I mean, I guess Phoenix could pay him, and maybe Atlanta would pay him. Um, so I don't think there'll be free agent movement. Anthony Davis will resign. Brandon Ingram will resign. But I think Miles Turner will move out of Indiana, either to New Orleans, um, where he's really a perfect fit for Drew Holiday, or to Boston for Gordon Hayward, where he's actually a pretty perfect fit. So I think that's a possibility. Um, I think Russell Westbrook will move. Uh, I think Chris Paul will move. Um, what else? I mean, I just think there'll be a lot of the draft pick. Draft trades, um, I think, will be prevalent but not earth-shattering. In other words, everyone is looking to move down, not up. And they're so I don't, and there don't seem to be a lot of players who someone, anyone really feels like, oh, that's a game changer for us to go get him. And so I think it's going to be hard for any of the top kind of four or five teams that are interested in moving their pick to be able to get down. And, and then, you know, usually if you're trading one through four, a player of significance is moving, and I don't see that happening. So um, I think you'll see trades. I think that we, these the general managers have all had enough time over the last seven months to kind of figure out possibilities and really look through the league and everything's been investigated and things have probably been talked about. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of trades once the trade window opens, which is a little different, but I don't think you'll see um, huge draft day earthquake type things. And I mean, maybe, you know, maybe for all we know, Drew Holiday and Miles for Miles Turner, and someone decides they deserve a draft pick out of that. Like that's the kind of where a draft pick could be involved, but I don't think otherwise. The one thing I do think's worth keeping an eye on that could have an impact is when. So Mike Conley just opted in, according to reports. When is the opt-in date? Is it 
it usually is after the draft. There's some talk that maybe before the draft this year. So then someone like even Ennis Cantor at five million or Gordon Hayward at his thirty opt in, they're now tradable. They wouldn't have been tradable otherwise. So that could only that'll increase trade. Why do you think the draft isn't actually more of a science than it is? Oh, three things. Youth. Four things. Maybe more. We might keep going. This list might <laughs> keep going, PK. Um, all right, so youth, and then I think uh, money, like how different kids react to getting the money. Like I think certain kids, you know, it changes them. Other kids are unimpacted by it, and they're just trying to get better. Um, the I'm going to say this politely. Um, the large discrepancy between the collegiate game and the NBA game. So I'll use an example in this draft. Cole Anthony. AAU circuit, elite-level athlete, pretty fabulous one-on-one player, thought of really highly, at times thought of as one of the best high school players in the country. Goes to North Carolina. Roy Williams runs, I don't know what. I mean, I know what it is, but it's just the most antiquated double-post bullcrap I've ever seen. There's no room anywhere. I don't think there was a guy on that team that shot better than 33% from three. And Cole Anthony looks like hell. Well, which is it? Like, you know, does he look terrible because he started playing better players and he's not in the more structure and he's not as good? Or is it because, like, there's no room? Like, I've been watching Cole Anthony and I just freeze frame the screen and then just decide the play is useless. Like, I literally look at it, freeze frame the screen, I'm like, okay, whatever happens here actually does not give me any understanding of anything about it. I mean, I guess if he had scored in that, then he's Michael Jordan. Because there's just no room on that floor at all. Villanova is like one of the only teams that actually opens the floor, spreads it out, runs multiple pick and rolls with multiple different players. And so you have a player like Sadiq Bey who looks great because his system's fabulous. They've spread the floor. All five of their guys can shoot a little. And he has all this room to maneuver. I actually worry on him. He doesn't pop off the screen to me as an athlete at all. He doesn't. He he's bigger than anyone guarding him because he's playing with the ball in his hands at six seven two twenty. He doesn't turn the corner and get his shoulder by anyone, um, and he doesn't elevate over a lot of people. Like I'm worried a little bit on him that he gets into the NBA and suddenly is athletically deficient and then doesn't look as good. Whereas Cole Anthony might actually get into the NBA and be really good with a spread open floor. Like I think he might be Austin Rivers. Like that's pretty good, but there's a chance that Sadiq Bay like actually can't beat people. So, you know, here's a player who looks amazing in college and another one looks terrible in college. And I actually think there's a chance that they flip when they get to the NBA because the collegiate game is just so different. And then the fourth one, I would say, though, I think, is I, every you know organization is different in how they develop talent. Um, and there are seemingly some spots in this league where you get caught in that system and there's just not a lot of talent development going on or you end up with three coaches in five years and maybe you're a better player than what you're being able to show. And then there's other guys who just end up in, you know, in a perfect circumstance and they might, you know, and then if they look good early, they get traded to a different circumstance and they don't look as good. So, so I would say youth, so lack of experience, money, 
the collegiate game just does not replicate the NBA game in any way, shape, or form, and then system that they get dropped into. How's that for off the top of my head? Uh, that is very David Locke-esque. Okay. Just <laughs> warming up. Let me have another shot of espresso. I'll be ready. <laughs> really? So Mike Conley has decided that he will not opt out. Now, he would have only opted out if he was going to sign a two- or three-year deal with the Jazz. Does that surprise you? What do you think the logic is from either side of the bargaining table on uh, how that played out? Doesn't surprise me at all. Um, You know, so Mike's decision of two things is, one, you know, does he want to go? Does he hate Utah so much he's willing to bypass thirty million? Okay, so that was no. Um, does he have an opportunity to make more money over the next three years by opting out than he does by opting in? So, in other words, could have he, you know, garnered fifty million over three years? Where if he goes in the open market next year, he's only going to get a two-year, eight million dollar deal or something. You know, um, I. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that that was actually on the table for him, so that might not have been an option. And the other part of that is I just, you know, he's made enough money that if I were Mike Conley after this year, I would just want to pick, be able to pick my spot, right? Like I might be able to go play some, I might be willing to go play somewhere for a million if it's the right spot, right? Like, so, you know, the Lakers are looking for a point guard and I go spend a year in LA and, and, you know, go try to win a title with LeBron or, I decide that I, you know, my family is growing and kids are beginning to go to school and I want to be in a place where we're comfortable. Like it could be anything. So um, I just think if you've made as much money as Mike Conley, maybe you're at this point in your career, I'll take another year in Utah and then just evaluate the landscape and see what's best for me in a year. And if it's the difference between, you know, making three, five and 10, as crazy as that sounds, it might not matter. So Justin Zanuck got a promotion, and I don't remember when it was, but it was sometime in the last year. How, with this new ownership and all, do you think decisions will be made come draft night? Hmm. You know, so J- Justin is GM. Dennis is, I think, vice, like president of basketball operations. I still get the – I mean, Dennis has always been incredibly collaborative. So that's always, if you talk to people in the room, he's always asking a lot of questions. He's always getting a lot of opinions. He's always looking for a consensus um, of the group. He's, you know, I guess at some point in every moment, it's somebody's decision that has to be made. But that has not been from what I've heard. I've obviously never been in the room. Um, From everybody I've heard, that's not how Dennis does things. I've heard much more that Dennis is a collective uh, viewpoints, multitude of ideas coming to a collective decision. So it doesn't change much? Uh, that would be, yeah, that's the implication of okay. my answer. Yeah. Which... Like, I, don't think, I don't think Justin suddenly standing in the front of the room and saying we're doing this, but maybe. I mean, you know, there's... You know, they had some extra, they had some pretty fast pivots they had to make in free agency last year when Miritich decided that he was going to stay in Europe. So somebody in that room had to be making a pretty quick pivot of what the next move was. It, you know, um, now 
Dennis and his crew have also always been known for extensive preparation, so maybe that pivot is simply what's option two, and it's already lined up on the board. But if that's not the case, then somebody in that group had to make a pretty quick pivot in the decision at you know a major moment in time and to go get Boyan Bogdanovich. And so I don't know who that was, but if that if that in fact I mean one of those one of two scenarios happened on that right. So Miritich surprised everybody and went to Europe, and now that's off the list. What are we going to do? And we have, you know, that was really significant to the marketplace because it meant there was one less stretch four in a marketplace that didn't have a lot of stretch fours and had a lot of suitors. And so, you know, you were on the verge of not getting a stretch four and then probably re-signing faves and being back with kind of that that lineup that didn't. And then I, you know, you grab Conley. I mean, we'll, we'll never know whether a lineup of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Joe Ingles is enough shooting to let favors and Gobert work. I mean, that could have been the other theory there, so that might have been an option. But, I mean, they just had to make a really – sorry, I'm just kind of babbling off thoughts. They just had to make a really quick pivot. Somebody did it. Which team in the West of the Jazz are chasing is about to make a major move that's going to have everybody talking? Or which team below the Jazz is about to make a move that leapfrogs them in front of the Jazz and has everybody talking? Mm. Uh, so the Thunder are, I think, by definition, ahead of the Jazz in the standings last year, and I think they'll make a move that will make everyone think they're less good, and I'm not entirely sure that's true unless they lose Gallinari also. If they move Chris Paul and just turn it over to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I guess they'll lose some games, but I think it's just the natural time to like Gilgis-Alexander of that team. Um, the Warriors will leapfrog the Jazz. They'll have some significant move here if it's just not nothing, if it's just not, you know, the least of which is just taking the number two pick of the draft. Um, but that's that's talent. I mean, this draft may not be great, but adding anyone from James Wiseman to Anthony Edwards to Tyrese Halliburton would make the water, you know, that, that player was Alfonso McKinney two years ago. So they'll be way better. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. Um, and they're healthy. So the warrior or healthier. So the Warriors should leapfrog the jazz. Um, I think Dallas could make a move um, that could, could, you know, if Dallas can go get something next to Luca and Chris Tapps, I don't know exactly what it is. Like I, I'm kind of the last. I'm on Zach Levine Island. There aren't a lot of people left. It's got, the real estate value is dropping, and we've had a certain you know flight off our island. But I, I'm a pretty big fan of Zach Levine. I saw he was rumored to be in discussions with Dallas. Um, there's only like there's only like 18 guys, and like here's my thought on that. By the way. So the off-the-bounce three has become the big play, right? We saw that with Donovan and Jamal Murray. And the if everyone's dropping the big, which 29 of the 30 teams do, and actually probably 30 of 30 because Jim Boylan doesn't have a job anymore, um, then the, you know, the answer to that is you have to come off the pick and roll and rise into a shot. Like, that's, that's the only way to combat that defense really successfully. There's only, I think, 19 players in the NBA who shoot 35% or better off-the-bounce off threes. And Zach Levine's one of them. So, and he's big and tall, and he can get his shot off. So, I'm a fan. Um, you know, I know all the problems, but I'm still a fan. So, I think that could be good for Dallas. Um, you know, if New Orleans goes and gets Miles Turner, that's an interesting move, right? They're really without a center right now for Zion, and Derek doesn't really match because they don't, both can't shoot. And so, if they're suddenly Lonzo Ball, JJ Redick. Jason Hart, um, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Miles Turner, that, and they have two rim defenders. That's, 
that's kind of awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I'm trying to think who else. So Phoenix, I guess, if they go add Chris Paul, do you like? Do you totally buy into that? I don't really buy the Phoenix eight no bubble as a great indicator, but certainly they're getting better. How do you think? So, yeah, this... ev- so and and everyone. So Minnesota's getting the number one pick. Yeah, so just everyone in the West is getting better. How will the pandemic affect the draft? Well, if it's like the NFL draft, the TV broadcast will be way better. Well, I don't mean like, it was optically. really cool to watch everyone in their house. I thought that was a way better broadcast. Um, um, I don't know how the pandemic will. I mean, these guys are like I talked to two, somebody in the front in a like you know league person the other day. I was talking and I brought up like who's going to be unprepared and the. You know, or what, what front office is, you know, I'm looking for like, what front office is going to get exposed? And he was like, exposed? Like, it's been nine months. Like, everybody's prepared for this. There's nobody who's not prepared for this. They've had nine months. So I don't think there's some concept that players, you know, haven't been seen. John Hollinger on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, it might have been actually on Chad Ford's big board, one of the two, was talking about how he thinks like the best thing about this draft is the fact that there's no workouts or that there's limited workouts. He thinks that the recency bias on workouts in an unnatural environment lead teams to make bad decisions. So that's just, there's a counter opinion on, you know, you're much better off evaluating players in games and what you're seeing on the floor than when you put them in an unnatural circumstance in the gym after they've been working with their trainer for two months to, uh, to be ready for those specific drills was his point. And so you, and then he thinks it's impossible to get in the draft room and not have the most recent observation be your dominant thought. Sure, but when you're watching them in games and they're running offenses that I ran when I was a kid, (laughs) back to your point about North Carolina and they're not alone, I'd watch Nico Mannion to Arizona because I knew him when he was in elementary school, and I think, I recognize that offense. Why are they running that? Right. And then I would text Pace, and then I would get back some short terse reply and realize, ooh, wait, I can't joke about this with him. (laughs) Yeah, what am I doing? I mean, I think, like, like Nico Mannion's interesting – because he is pretty little and he didn't finish at the rim very well. And so, but he, he has some incredible court vision and plays with an incredible pace. And then Arizona state didn't do those two things. So it was really hard to tell what he could do. Like, you know, is he going to be able to get in the lane and really distribute and move it around and do some pretty fabulous things in an open floor of the NBA? Maybe he was, Bogarted a bunch of times defensively in a way that was a little unnerving when I've watched him. Um, I mean, I think he might be DJ Augustine, um, which is good. DJ Augustine's got like a 12-year career going um, and was a seventh, ninth pick of a draft. And Pace, and Pace's kid, Nico, is going to be, you know, probably 40s. Um, but I'm with you on that. You know, like the kid that I just have like attached myself to and may never play in the NBA is this kid out of Mississippi State named Robert Woodard II. And he just jumps off the screen like if you're if i if you watch mississippi state you might not he might disappear for 15 minutes because he's you know not great but every now and then he'll do something and it's like oh that's the nba player on the floor and so what do you how do you evaluate this guy he plays on a team whose guards are selfish and awful i mean awful and never pass and he's a wing, and he's limited, but he's six eight, like two twenty. He had like the fifth biggest vertical jump. He has got a seven two reach. He is a one foot jumper, so that if he gets an edge on someone, it's over, and he is on top of the cup. 
He's actually got, I think, pretty good anticipatory defensive skills when he's paying attention defensively, which is not always. And he is, uh, God went into his athletic bag of tricks and gave all of them to him. All of them. Every single one of them to this guy. And yet he's playing, I watch him, and he'll disappear for like 10 minutes because he sees the ball for like a second. And the system has him always getting the ball. Never, he never touches the ball with an advantage. He gets the ball at 30 feet all the time straight away with no, like he can't dribble more than two or three times in a row right now with his skill set. So there's nothing he can do from there. And yet if they're in the open floor, like there was a play I watched where off a made free throw, they pushed it up and the defense wasn't entirely set. And he's so explosive that he was on top of the cup with this monster jam. Like that's an NBA player. And so how do you evaluate this guy? He looks like he's going to go in the second round. I kind of love him because, you know what? Like, maybe you can teach him how to dribble three times. Maybe you can teach him to make his shots a little better. Three seems fine. He's got a high relief. Shoots 65% from the free throw line, so that makes you nervous because that's the number one thing that equates to three-point shooting. But you know what? Like, he can guard the two, the three, the four if he, play, if he focuses. He, like, actually I think could be a secondary rim defender because he's such an elite athlete, and I think that's, like, the biggest thing in the league right now. And yet, you know what? If you watch him, he looks like, yeah, I got why he's a second-round draft pick and why people don't really like him because it's pretty mundane to watch him sit sit on the wing and kind of get the ball and then every now and then get bored, take one dribble, always be able to shake his man and miss a mid-range jump shot. Like, I get it, but it's such a bad game to watch. I can't tell how you evaluate the player. David, thanks for the time as always, and we'll check in with you a week and in a week and see how many of these things have actually happened by then. Talk to you later. All right, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, coming up a Masters update with Bob Casper. They are making birdies. The rain is softening the green. Guys are going low. We'll talk with Bob next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. My opinion is BYU has not been as friendly to Kalani as they need to be or should have been. He was going into a lame duck year before they extended him to 2023. This would have been his lame duck season, and they extended him midway through last season. That's pushing it too close to the edge. If he goes undefeated and has a top 15 pick, BYU better show him some confidence and extend him out another two years and be like, hey, we just want to show you we really screwed up on the first lack of extension. They better show him now before the offers come in because if you don't i like that university but if i'm coaching there and i've got a power five team that comes swooping in and they're like here's 3.2 and here's a um, two and a half million dollar yeah. increase on your coaching pool my name's on that contract hanson scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network well judging by the music apparently it's time for a master's update with bob casper because there's nothing about that that says NPA or uh, NFL. Issue in a Golf Masters update with Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and get some guns and ammo. Bob, good morning. How you doing? Good. Not as good as the guys who are uh, making birdies all over Augusta National. You surprised wow, by the scores? Easy. Yeah, is it the weather? <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it was the weather from yesterday. You know, um, they got a lot of rain in the morning, and then when they finally were able to tee off, you know, about an hour or so late, um, the golf course was just, it, you know, it just had a ton of moisture in it. And so um, all the shots, you know, they're, they're able to throw darts at the flags, and, and it's still the same of the types of same conditions today. And then, 
you know, guys are going to shoot the scores that they're shooting. You think it's any disadvantage for guys who were playing well, like Justin Thomas, and then he's got to get off the course and then jump back on this morning to finish and then go with his regular round? Well, you know, he got, he got in at uh, Justin Thomas ended up getting in at um, at six under par, but he bogeyed the tenth hole. But you know, when when guys are um, when guys are playing well, they want to keep playing. They want. They don't want the holes to run out on them. When guys are right. playing bad, you get the holes can't run out fast enough. <laughs> so um, Justin Thomas, you know, he should, he should, um, he just got himself in a bad position off of the tenth hole in his second round, the first hole of his second round, and and ended up making bogey. But he'll turn that back around here real quick. Uh, Mickelson is four under, and of course, the mm-hmm. golfing world would lose its mind if he. Uh, is in it on the back nine on Sunday. That, that's not going to last, is it? Well, Phil Phil has had some difficulty playing. I mean, I mean, he's okay. So let me let me preface it this way: he's played in two senior um, tour events, and he's won both of them. Okay, and um, so that breeds a lot of that breeds a lot of confidence and a lot of success. Prior to that, he was playing on the PGA Tour, and he wasn't he wasn't competing at all. So now that he's won a couple of times, um, and he's gone to a forty-seven and a half inch driver this week, um, he seems to be hitting the ball further off the tee. Uh, looks like he's hitting it fairly straight, but he's his all around his all around game is much better, and his confidence is much better. So that denotes um, his four under par score and where he's at right now. Plus, he's got the advantage of having the moisture in the golf course that helps him out, too. What do the guys do in between the little time that they have to finish up the round and then start their new round in this situation? Well, some guys some guys might go out and um, might go out and hit a few putts. Some guys might go hit a couple of golf balls. Some guys probably go get um, – Go get a, a quick bite to eat. Probably Augusta National might have had something ready for guys if they wanted to to get in and get something to eat, oatmeal or um, you know like an egg sandwich or something like that, so that they could just run in and grab it. Um, then they go back out on the putting green and they hit some putts and then they're ready to go because most of these guys are only getting about twenty to thirty minute turnaround. Right. So uh, I assume some of the lit t- names at the top of the leaderboard will stay and some will uh, go away. That just tends to be how things shake out. But who is, who is Fratelli? Dylan Fratelli, he's from South Africa. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a really good player. Um, you know, he's, but, but what he hasn't done, DJ, is he hasn't ever I – think, I think the best he's ever finished in a major championship is like – a tie for 26th or 27th, and he's he's uh, he's never shot around a like he shot um, today with that seven under par 65. It was interesting. He had about a he had about a 10 or 11 foot putt on the on his final hole, which was the ninth green, to um, to get to eight under par, and he and he left it short. And what that shows me is he felt he felt the nerves a little bit uh, on that putt and didn't quite uh, strike it as he had been uh, his putting uh, through through the most of the round. But but he's a really good player um, as as to whether I think he's going to stick around. He probably won't. 
but the other guys are th- that are there, you know, Dustin Johnson, Paul Casey, um, those guys have proven, uh, you know, their worth in, in uh, you know, uh, Ryder Cups and uh, major championships. Dustin Johnson, of course, won the U.S. Open. And then you've got, uh, you know, Justin Thomas just down a little bit at, uh, at five under par. He made, like I said, he made bogey. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's some really good players at the top. There's Xander Shoffley's there, Phil's there, Tiger's there. Um, so this is going to be kind of interesting to see how low they go this morning. Um, and then what the guys are going to be able to do because they'll only be able to play the guys this afternoon only be able to play about nine holes and then finish up their second round on Saturday morning. So when we get to that point, what do you think the cut line's going to be? Well, I think the cut line right now, if it's, I mean, we're looking at, there There were 51 guys this, this morning after the first round, there were 51 guys that were under par, at one under par or better. The cut line's going to go, the cut line's going to go down another shot. So it's going to go to, it's going to at least go to two under par, um, if not three, which is probably the lowest cut line I've ever seen in my life. Augusta National changed yeah, their cut, right. cut line dynamics this this year because of the limited amount of light, and they're going to 50 in ties. Normally, it's like 50 and, and within 10 shots of the lead. So, um, so they went to straight 50 in ties. So you you have to you're going to have to be at one or two under par, probably two under par to make the cut. So looking at our draft picks, three rounds here, most of the guys are in the hunt. They haven't played enough golf to really sort much of this out. Your first mm-hmm. pick, Brooks Kepka, is one under, uh, yep. six shots off the lead. You regret that? You see anything in the, in the first few holes here that uh, maybe you didn't see when you picked him first? Because otherwise it's kind of chalk and everything's kind of what we expected. Yeah, yeah, I mean they're they're jockeying for position right now, and they're trying to get themselves into position for contention. So, um, you know, Brooks Brooks was two over par going to the fifteenth fifteenth hole, two over par for for his first round. He eagled fifteen, birdied sixteen, and then made one more birdie coming in to shoot seventy. Uh, he and he and uh, he and uh, Justin Thomas both hit the ball in the same spot on the tenth hole their first hole this morning and ended up making or their their first hole in their second round and ended up making a bogey but um but he's at one under par but you know um Matthew Wolf's right there I yeah I kind of tried to talk you off that pick and he he uh you know he's he's one under par um then uh you know you the JTs and and uh and the DJs you know we we talked about those um yesterday morning uh, also, Xander Shoffley, Rory's lost. I, I mean, he it was amazing to see the shots that he hit, and uh, you're probably glad you didn't pick that one, but I got him. So, but you know, I there's there's just a lot of guys there. There's a lot of guys that are playing good golf, and uh, you know, Mike Weir shot one under par. Um, uh, Tony Finau shot three under par in the first round. He won't be teeing off till about. Uh, 2:20 this afternoon Eastern time, and uh, and he'll probably only get about nine holes in. So, um, but it's it's a great leaderboard so far. What's the weather looking like the rest of the way? Do you know? It's supposed to be good. Actually, it's supposed to be really good. It's supposed to be, 
you know, mid to low 70s and not much moisture the rest of the way. And I, I was, you know, I've been texting with Brian, Brian Taylor this morning, co-host on, on Real Golf Radio, which will be tomorrow morning from 6 to 9. But um, I, I was texting with him this morning, and I said, I don't hear the sub-air system, which is how they pull moisture out of the, out of the, the golf course and out of the greens and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and they'll, they'll, click it, they'll kick it on here probably after the second round. And, and you're going to see the golf course get a little bit more fire in it and get a lot more difficult uh, for the final two rounds. So um, the guys better make their hay early uh, in the first two rounds and then, and then hold on because it's going to get more difficult uh, at, when you get to Saturday and Sunday. I'm lukewarm on the pimento cheese. I would eat it again, <laughs> but... The egg salad was rock solid, and I didn't egg eat for like eight hours after you left here, and I don't usually do that in the middle of the day, but that's what you did with the taste of the Masters yesterday. Yeah, the egg salad's rock solid. Uh, the barbecue beef was pretty pretty decent, too. I didn't get You uh, didn't let in. You saved that for the other guys. You, the shows you really like. <laughs> um, the pimento cheese, you know what? I like the pimento cheese. That's just me. I fed it to I, I I gave it to Hans yesterday, and Hans says, "Oh, I like that right from the beginning." <laughs> and I said, "Man, you and I got got the same kind of taste. We like the same kind of food." So um, yeah, it's an acquired taste. If you if you try it, you know you kind of you, you don't necessarily like it, then you then you blow it away. I, I you know I've had I've had friends that have taken the pimento cheese sandwich and taken a piece taken one of the sides of bread off. And taking the egg salad and taking a side of a side of bread off and put them together and eat the pimento cheese egg salad. So um, that's pretty good too. All right, Bob. We'll talk to you on Monday. Wrap this all up. We'll hear you tomorrow morning, six to nine, Zone Sports Network. You and Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. Look forward to it. All right, guys. Have a good day. DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. I want to ask you your reaction to the deal reached between the players and the owners. It's like not something the media, for whatever reason, does, kind of giving the players' union credit on this. But I really do think Michelle Roberts deserves an enormous amount of credit. I mean, one, she got the escrow to 10% and instead of some mammoth number so that her players are all protected and the owners take the hit, which is probably how it should be when franchisers are selling for $1.6 billion. I thought the players probably got the better end, but the bottom line is that everyone's playing December 22nd, and that's what the league needed more than anything else. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Football Fridays here on The Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Raiders game against the Denver Broncos on Sunday is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the officials of the official Raider debit card. Same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. All right, PK, we got the question of the day up here. Two versions, one for you, it's one for Cougars, and uh, we will knock them out here in consecutive uh, segments. And let us begin with the BYU question. Looking back at last night, how much better does BYU look after Boise State creamed Colorado State. Now, we've got a lot of comments about who did and didn't play for Boise State. 
Well, probably help not having a third-string quarterback, Mark Post. And then uh, immediately Thomas Post, well, the Broncos were down 14 players tonight, so I'd say BYU is more legit than many are thinking. Here's the thing I oh, think. brother. Right? I know. Do I don't think? think it can make BYU look better because they're 8-0 and they're ranked 8th in the country. Right, you're already a top 10 team. <laughs> what it does is it doesn't cut the le- legs out of you because the Broncos went out and lost and are on the way to, you know, 3 and 5 or 4 and 4 or whatever. We expect Boise State's going to be pretty good. They're 3 and w- 3 and 1 halfway through their their shortened season here. They're going to be a 6 or 2 or 7 and 1 team. I don't know that it makes them look better, but it doesn't make them look worse. Boise they got credit for beating a good Boise State team. You're not going to get more credit than that. But Boise State needs to go ahead and be a good team, and it looks like they are. You know what they're getting credit for? I think what they're getting credit for the most, Boise State's always good, man. Right, exactly. Boise State has proven themselves. They're they're a really good football program. That's the bottom line. But I think the thing that is most in BYU's favor is the run that Zach Wilson is getting. And there has been plenty of quarterbacks – who have made it big in this league, who've played far less competition and were high draft picks. Carson Wentz obviously comes to mind, right? So you've got these guys that there's a track record. Conversely, there's a track record of guys playing at high levels that are busts. But the fact that Zach Wilson is getting a ton of run by the Mel Kuypers of the world that's what people are saying. Oh, well, then, of course, BYU is legitimate. If this kid is talking about potentially being the top five pick in the NFL draft, the discussion of how good BYU is is still there. It's like not necessarily how good are they, how great are they, because we're already going to assume that they're pretty good. So I think that's, that's sort of old news now, and I'm done trying to defend BYU. Well, so are most of the national voters. That's why they're top 10. Uh, people are buying in. And I think you're right. They, I think that's an excellent point that it's, uh, it's a quarterback-driven sport. Uh, when you have an elite quarterback, and it doesn't matter if it's high school, college, or pro, uh, you know, the Corner Canyon Chargers you were talking yesterday, you don't watch a lot of high school football, but you were going to watch at 2 o'clock. And obviously, you know, your wife teaches there, so you know a bunch of people and all that. Uh, so that's part of it. But Corner Canyon's on this 39-game win streak, and it's, uh, I think it's 50 out of the last 51 now that they've won. The coach is 50 and 1 at Corner Canyon. In his last 51 <laughs> games, right? Well, it's, well no. It is, oh, that's where it started for him? His career record at the school. Cool. It's 50 and 1. <laughs> and then you look at the quarterbacks who've been there. Well, Zach went there, right? Jackson right. Dart is now getting offers from USC. And if you get an offer from USC, then you know like 40 teams are going to fall in line and offer two because they're all going to think, well, USC isn't actually going to sign three guys. Let's offer the same three and maybe we'll pick off one of them. Uh, so he's going to have offers all over the place. And when you see him throw the ball, you know, he looks like a Certainly at that level, he's a big-time quarterback, and he looks like he could be good at the next level, so no wonder everyone's offering him. So I think your point on BYU, yeah, if you have a quarterback who looks the part, who just looks the part, that's going to give you a ton of credibility. Now, if you drill down a little deeper and you find out, well, they got a guy on the on the defensive line there who could have been drafted last year, and they got a couple offensive linemen everybody likes, and then there's... Um, who was it? Was it, uh, it, was, was it uh, Brian Keel yesterday? Was running through a list of, hey, there's a lot of guys here, depending on what they do with their 40 time, and the guy's got a year of eligibility left. So that number can go up a little more. 
Nice. I know what you did there. I saw you hit the button, Yak. <laughs> it goes back to a conversation we had yesterday. Yeah. You're gonna have you're gonna get a you're just gonna keep piling on the credibility, so it's no wonder that they're top ten all the way. And, and there's a way, and there's a reason that we still call you Judas. You'll sell out either one of us. Hey, this conversation was actually initiated yesterday by PK. So I think what we should do then we should have a guest on and ask him how many guys does he think BYU is going to have in the NFL off this team. We could do that again. <laughs> again, and again, again. <laughs> and again, and again, and again. Well, when Yak drops the bingo, that made me laugh. Yeah, check the boxes. <laughs> Well, you play bingo. I, I I think I played when I was like five. I think my grandmother or something. And then you play in class once for some rainy day exercise in Southern California. And then I've never played again. Is it knockout or blackout? Because bingo's when you get them in a row, right? Yeah. It's Is it black, knockout? It's, it's blackout black. when you get them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to get B-I-N-G-O. all the boxes. B I N G O. When's the last time you played bingo, PK? Bingo's huge in the Catholic Church, man. But when's the last time you played? Last night. That's a lie. You did not play bingo last night. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell. Yeah, you. like when you were twelve or eight or something. <laughs> when we go to St. George, we uh, we drive by this uh, senior center, and it's like a rec room type of deal. And we always laugh in there because it looks like every time we drive by at night, they're playing bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the day, they do shuffleboard. It's probably because they are playing bingo every night. <laughs> I look forward to those days. <laughs> okay, so is there anything that Boise State's going to do in their next four or five games here, the fifth one if they play in the conference title game, that's going to pump up BYU anymore? They're getting maximum credit for that already, aren't they? It's just a matter of not. Well, I don't. they, they flash Boise State's schedule on there I, I, the rest of the season. I don't see a loss. Yeah, I wouldn't think so, and that's. You know, I mean, COVID is is an equalizer, and who knows? So seven and one or six and two, something crazy could happen. Somebody could block three of their kicks and beat them. I mean, you can oh, always lose. You can always lose a game, but you're right. You'd probably take four and zero, oh, and if not, then you take three and one. Yeah, Bo- Boise's going to be their best win. I mean, Boise's. Yeah. A, they then they hammered them too, man, and they did it on a Friday night, and. People are starved for sports on television now. We're not going out as much in the movies or going out to eat and whatnot. So on a Friday night, and and college football fans, uh, you know, you we're appreciating that the game is going to be played. Uh, I really, I mean, I want the Utes to win because I want all the local teams. But just to see the ball go up in the air is good enough for me. I don't. It's like I don't even really care what the result is. The fact that they get an opportunity to play is good enough. So I think people are checking out college football and and looking for fresh stories, looking for stories that make us feel good, get us beyond the the politics and are you going to concede and all this crap. Concede already, you lost. And, you know, back and forth and then the COVID and, and everybody knows people who are getting laid off. And, and now I've just gotten a thing here that just comes comes across as we speak from the Pac-12, I just got an email. I'm going to open it up right now, literally, because it says a statement uh, statement regarding Stanford game testing protocol errors because the quarterback had a false positive, Mills, and he didn't get to play. I mean, it's a bunch of negative crap. So the Zach Wilson and the BYU story, it's a great story, man. 
Just revel in it and quit trying to prove how great they are. Could they beat Ohio State? Probably not. But who cares? BYU fans. <laughs> what? We, we might be able to beat Ohio State? I'd, I'd take the 1-50 in 50 shot. Uh, sure, yeah, but I mean, it, it's the, you're not going to obsess over it. I think BYU fans have a level of realism. Just enjoy it for what it is, because most likely Zach Wilson's going to run off to the NFL, and then we'll see about the quarterback battle next year. So, uh, that's that's the way I look at it. But I, you know, I never took the results of sports that seriously. Anyway, I try to take the fun and the competition and enjoying in the moment. And we talked to Aaron Roderick yesterday, you know, and he talked about it. I thought it was a great interview because he said there was no drudgery during the training camp that there usually is, you know, in, in August. You got three weeks before a game, and it's 100 degrees out and all that stuff. And, and, and this year you didn't have that. You had it later. And just the fact that you literally were the only team in the West that was doing it made it fun. Boy, talk about gratitude. Of course. You had it. And a lot of these kids been lived for two years in impoverished parts of the world where forget about having a food food in the refrigerator. They were places you didn't even have a refrigerator. So the point being that they have a sense of perspective. David Shaw talks about this. He talks about it every year we speak with him down at Pac-12 Media Day where he tells he wants the missionary kids, and he usually has a handful of them, to spread their experiences throughout the team because a lot of them have been in places that our kids have never been to, and they don't have that world perspective, and they have a level of gratitude. So you got that combined with the fact that they're just playing football. Can't we just enjoy what BYU's doing irregardless of whether it's against Chico State or the Green Bay Packers, that caliber of team? At this point, does it really matter? It always matters, PK. Eh, I don't think it does, man. I think it, And it's a fun discussion. Sure, have it. If you don't like the Cougars, ah, they haven't beaten anybody. If you love them, well, wait a second here. The fact is, man, they got a player that the NFL guys like, and they've got more than that. They've got more than Zach Wilson, obviously. They're a pretty good football team. And and now we're trying to diminish Boise State? No. After all Boise State has done for so many years, all of a sudden this year they suck? No. Nope. Doesn't make any sense? Nope, they don't suck. They're they're <laughs> going to they're going to win a bunch of games and zero people will be surprised if they win the Mountain West Conference again. Exactly zero people. And can't we all agree now that as much as uh if I could pick my favorite matchup, I would say the Pac-12 champ, you know, you routinely get disregarded. There's a decent chance you have a loss. And even if you go undefeated, you may not get to play enough games to get into the playoff, right? They may end up valuing a 10-1 and Notre Dame team over a 6-0 and Oregon team if Oregon doesn't get to play, say, Cal, right? So Pac-12 champ versus BYU in the Fiesta Bowl. If I could order no. something up, that is what I would order up. But I would what, order up Utah but what? BYU. Okay, but what do I expect? I do not expect BYU versus the Pac-12 champ in the Fiesta Bowl. I expect BYU and Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. They're going to have the group of five. You're not Power Five. You two play each other. We're not having you show up Texas A&M or Utah or USC or Oregon or whoever. I take that. Cincinnati, it's a yeah. fine football team. Fickle's got a great program going on, man. I mean, they they were usually good, sometimes good from time to time. But since Fickle came down the road, didn't he come from Ohio State, you know, just down the freeway? I think he did uh, to Cincinnati. 
and he's he's done marvel he's done marvelous work. He's your next Michigan coach, isn't he? <laughs> We're lining people up, Harbaugh. Harbaugh, See you, Jim. Harbaugh's, Come on down, Luke. Harbaugh's fired coach walking. Hey, the, the well, room, no, he he the, doesn't get fired. He goes someplace. I else. say the the NFL rumors are already coming right. out. That's Beat the posse out of town. Yeah, it's time to move on. Yeah, the dream dies here. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. That'll be weird. But, you know, you got to go where the job takes you. But Fickle's an Ohio State guy through and through. I mean, he's, he was there yeah, more than Ryan a— Ryan Day going? He was more than a decade. Yeah, he's going— Yeah, but wasn't—who uh, was it? Was it Woody Hayes was the other guy or Schembechler was the other guy, and they went to the opposite yep. school? Yeah, I think, Shem, I think Schembechler was a Woody Hayes assistant who yeah. went to Michigan. Is that what it was? He flipped yeah. to Michigan, yeah. Wouldn't be the yeah. first time, right? That's the historic, yeah. the historic duo. The legendary right. duo. Right. All right, DJ and PK, the Utes, getting ready to play a game. Now, earlier this morning, we couldn't guarantee it because it was still 37 hours away. We can't guarantee it, but it's 35 hours away, PK, and somehow that's got to be a good thing. We've clicked, off, we've clicked off two more hours since we were talking about this. I know. We'll look ahead to the Utes and UCLA next. Stay with us.